Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo, and the team from The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we're talking to someone whose career has taken them from the armed forces to a role where they're impacting learning through skills and learning technology. I'm delighted to welcome Aaron Biggs to the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Aaron. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background and the journey you've taken? Thanks for having me, James. Pleasure to be here on the pod with uh, TLE. Um, so my, my journey has you know, started around 10 years ago in the, the outdoors and uh, subsequently joined the, the Royal Navy, where I w- served as, a, as an officer for six years and have since uh, joined a completely different uh, path and have started working with with Tadar, which is, uh, you know, as you say, working in a, an exciting space, uh, disrupting the way in which, you know, learning technology and uh, administrative processes can work for the individual. So let's roll back right to the beginning. So, you know, you were in the Navy, but what took you to a career in the armed forces? That's a that's a good question, James. And uh, I think like with all things, when you when you look back, wh- why you made a decision at the time, it felt like a really clear and obvious you know, set of reasons. But uh, looking back now, I think that I think it all started when I possibly you know, relocated from the Midlands to Liverpool. Um, Thirteen-year-old, you know, very polite. Thirteen-year-old uh, joined you know, joined my comprehensive school in in in, in South Liverpool, and. Um, or everything I said or anything I did was, you know, I was, I was very different right from the outset um, and felt a real need to maybe prove my worth. And, so, you know, that started in competitive sport, you know, football, centre midfield, kind of work, workhorse, if you like, bit of a, you know, James Milner was always a player that I uh, kind of idolised. Um, and then that kind of took me on that path of, you know, external recognition, validation within a peer group. And, um yeah, the, the messaging that I think the forces really peddled quite well in their marketing campaigns, particularly you know, the army, for instance, be the best, you know, Royal Marines, state of mind, all of these phrases. I think they appeal to my you know, you know, satisfying the ego, I guess, um, and took me on that pathway of you know, collecting badges, proven worth, being um, you know, intrinsically an external val- you know, validation, I guess. And um, that took me to the armed forces um, and uh, yeah, the Navy was the the force, the force of choice in the end. So obviously that messaging has appealed to you and it's drawn you into the Navy. And so you're then in the reality of being in the Navy. What did you learn during your career? How did your career progress during your time with the Navy? It's a good question. I think the probably the most profound from the Navy was the, the 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 power of investing in a person's professional development. I think that's one thing that the Navy does really well. Um, you know, it's it's all about the individual. It lays down a really clear pathway of what you know what your career could look like. This is what you need to do to achieve those things. It's a very you know uh, um, defined structure, and it happens. It's uh, you know there's no grey area. Um, so I think with that, you know that that. That's 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 across the board. I think all you know, all ranks and rates. Uh, for me personally, you know, going through that process of 
right i've joined as a as a as a warfare officer um you know i, I need to uh, you know, my my pathway started with you know you go to the the gates of dartmouth um pass out as a as a as a, as a naval officer and then the next head mark is you know get your watch keeping certificate and learn how to drive a ship or a submarine um and each one of those little ticks in the box or um bits of experience that you gather along the way you know it's all it's it's collected in a um in, in a format that obviously is necessary necessary for the navy uh for you to be able to demonstrate that competency um and it you know, provides that i think the the thing that i learned from that is the because you've got that clear defined goal you know what it is that you're driving towards you know in that case learning to 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 become a, a an officer of the watch um you're willing to um put yourself through a fair bit of hardship and adversity because you know what you're going to get at the end of it whether that uh, translate into any real real world value is a, is another question um but yeah fast forward through all of that all that process that that learning experience was um you know, first the first big tick in the box was obtaining that watch keeping certificate, which uh, you know is a number of uh, skills gained there, um, hours logged, um, and lots of um, you know complementary competencies which were required to get that. Uh, and then that was then applied into the submarine environment as well. So you know you've taken that one experience, and then you then apply it from the ship environment, shipping environment in a submarine, and then learn learn another system, another complex set of um, uh, inner workings, and you can then also provide a bit of help and guidance and mentoring and coaching to other people that have only just embarked on a, a learning pipeline, whatever it may be, because you've got that yeah you know, that that background of. You know, you've you've failed in many respects. Lots of little failures along the way. You haven't passed the module. You need to. Um, so I guess yeah, the, the overarching message there is, you know, the thing I learned the most from the Navy was how um, training your people and supporting them along the way with enthusiasm, encouragement, never you know ostracizing uh, failure. Uh, you know, I think there was an element of champion and uh, champion, not champion and failure, but. Um, you know, really supporting people through the process. We've all been there. We've all had little mishaps along the way, and um, that was quite. Even if it was traditional in format, it was quite a you know really really the most um, the thing that's that sticks out the most. So lots of structured format to that. Like you said, there's career paths, there's recording, there's competencies, there's support along the way, ability to, as you said, have failures and be supported through those. So. Again, lots of people will see the armed forces from the outside and they'll have a preconception as to exactly what's going on and, and, and how that works. And, and, and some of those will be based in truth. Some of them will be more based in fiction or, you know, whatever else it happens to be. So as you're working through that, what then led you to decide to leave the Navy? That's, uh, that's probably, uh, probably one of the more straightforward answers I can give, I think. When you when I when I when I made the decision to join, it was clear and obvious that there would be some, you know, quite quite a large element of sacrifice. Um, life, you know, life the lifestyle that you would lead would mean that it would be less time at home. You'd miss 
some big uh, events. You know, I didn't go to any of my stepsister's weddings, uh, missed my best friend's wedding, missed the Liverpool Champions League final. Um, so all of these things were to be expected. You know, it's not. But uh, what I didn't anticipate was the amount of time that um, um, would be spent at sea continuously, which is a, uh, a a trend that is in the upward trajectory and records are being broken year on year. Um, so the amount of time continuously spent away is on the up. Um, well, at least it was in, in, in the six years of, of my experience. And um, for me and my lifestyle, I don't think that that is was conducive to long term health or happiness for me, um, even if, you know, I really did enjoy the other uh, aspects in terms of the, the balance and the, you know, the pros and cons of those things. There were more more cons than pros, unfortunately. Um, and that was that was the reason why I decided to leave. So similar story to lots of people, work-life balance being a driver as to your career direction and destiny. But, you know, you've been in a career that's given you lots of skills, lots of experiences, and now you're coming out or making that decision to come out of the Navy. That must be quite a daunting prospect. And I know we've talked before about some of the challenges and support offered during that process, but it would be really great if you can give us some insight into the realities of making that transition. Yeah, you're absolutely right, James. I think there is a period of self-discovery that occurs in that moment when you decide to leave. And I'm sure this can be shared and echoed across uh, a number of industries or sectors or people that have been in any organisation or institution for an extended period of time. For me, in my experience, uh, six years within the Navy, essentially, you know, you're, you're trying to make sense of that yourself, trying to make sense of all of those different experiences, competencies, um, things that you've enjoyed, things that you actually want to be sought out for, I guess, because you're trying to translate this into a way that's going to be meaningful and valuable to uh, the outside world. Um, and the thing I found most interesting in that at the start of that experience is the uh, is always a veteran entitlement kind of rhetoric that is um, kind of pe uh, pushed to pushed to you by your peers and uh, friends, family, you know, people that say, "Oh, well, you've got loads of experience, um, loads of it, just experience, lots of variety. You'll get a job, no problem." But then you you go to put that into words and into a valuable um, in, into a format that makes sense to the individual that's going to be reading it on the other end, whether it be a hiring manager, a recruiter, and you know an employer of employers various. Um, you are not dealing with people that necessarily understand what that means, and you you have to understand that person's frame of reference and the um, how. Yeah, how can how can how can somebody that's never met someone in the navy ever understand what it's like to perform that job role? So that that was a bit of that was a real period of self discovery and understanding that it's not their problem, it's my problem to um, put all of that experience in a format you know uh, that means something to them. You know they can't be expect. You know what what is a royal navy lieutenant? You know, what does that even mean? You know, firstly, if they read it, they would say lieutenant. If they you know, most people would anyway, they'd be watching American films. Um, so I guess uh, yeah, that's the that's a lot, a, a lot of kind of 
waffle surrounding the you know, translating the language, I guess, and the experience. But um, in terms of the practical process, you know, there's a third there's a third party that work for the MOD, and they they do a good job in trying to get some support and information out to the thousands of people that do leave uh, every year. Um, but it's more okay. Is it? Yeah, they paint a few pathways. They show a bit of bit of inspiration of what others have done generally. You know, a, most people could become a project manager or um, you can you know, go into the Amazon service leavers route, you know, companies that really champion armed forces. But the, the thing I found with them is they they're great at what they do, but then they, they also kind of put the, net, the, the, the word vet, is it a, a veteran almost becomes a single entity and that person doesn't have a uh, the uniqueness of the individual and their individual experiences that they've collected throughout that 6, 12, 22 year uh, career are entirely different, but yet you're all bundled into, we recognise the value of you as a veteran, which is nice. It's nice in one respect, you know, you're part of a club, part of a community, but then it also kind of simplifies your experience and puts you into this kind of soft skill category that the likes of Amazon want to, um, you know, that they know what they want to use you for, but rather than you making yourself available in the way that you want to be used. Um, so it's quite a good, good period of reflection and understanding how different organisations are uh, levering, you know, how, how, how they go about it. Um, and yeah, so it's so a Fast forward to where I am, you know, to, to where I got to. I think I got on a bit of a spirit of compromise of, um, you know, what are the things that are non, what, what, what am I unwilling to compromise on? Um, you know, things like geography, um, you know, time away, all that sort of stuff. And um, and here I am today with, uh, with Tada. And I think that challenge you talk about is not an unfamiliar one of being able to understand transferable skills, understand knowledge, understate innate attributes. And, you know, I relate it back to my experience in, in an HR and learning career. And I face so many times in the past where recruiters or organisations have told me, oh, we can't consider you for this role because you don't have industry knowledge. So, the fact I've worked in HR and learning in, you know, seven or eight different sectors means that I can't go and do HR in your sector because your sector is so unique. If I then spin that back to, you know, coming out of a more nuanced and, you know, less understood world of, say, the Navy like you are, you know, and that's an HR profession that's actually quite closed mind to being open and move people moving across boundaries. I can imagine there's lots of preconceptions you know like you said you're almost put into this little box of this is what we expect an ex you know a veteran or an ex services person to to bring to the party which again may or may not be true that you know we're we're sort of painting you with one brush and there's a lot of unconscious or conscious bias of saying right well they're an army person so they're probably this that that and the other and, and not really getting to understand your own individual skills, the reality of that experience and that 
how that can be translated into very different environments apart from being in logistics or a project manager which tends to be quite easy labels to put onto anyone who's seemingly worked in what's perceived as a structured environment so you yeah. know I, I i can see those challenges and it, you know it's interesting to think about how you think that could be better done yeah. sort of, of, of on both sides helping like you said, the 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 veterans who come with that entitlement, and the people externally who are maybe pigeonholing or not understanding how they can tap into that huge amount of talent that's coming onto the market every year. Yeah, absolutely. And the 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 emotional element of the the veteran, I think, is the you know the they they want to be recognised for everything that they have done. Uh, you know, myself included. I, you know, I, I wanted to put that I had done, uh, you know, change management, uh, you know, uh, analysis, you know, business analyst aspect, uh, operation. You know, just lots of different roles. But then when you start to put together that narrative, it's all disjointed. And you're like, well, how can you have done? How can you be all of these things? And you might have elements of experience, but it doesn't paint a clear message in it. It just sits uncomfortably, I think, with the other person at the other end reading it because it's like, well, what, what even are you? You're a bit of a bit of a mixy blob, and I don't, I don't fully understand what that means. Um, so you get labelled as potentially a project manager or a general manager ish, <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, 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 because you're too difficult to understand. So, what would you, you know, on those reflections, what would you be saying to, you know, people who are following that journey that you've got coming out of the armed forces or on the other hand people who are looking to really help understand veteran talent and how they can you know utilize that or, or you know get the best skills or get the best people into their organizations I would say that the uh, so there's two 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 strands to that the, the how what would I say to fellow um service personnel uh, you know tra uh, transitioning i'd say you know identify what you do but yeah, of your experience what do you want to be employed for um you know the 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 idea that you have served in in the forces means different things to different people so um like you've already touched on the fact that you may have followed processes or have experience of implementing health and safety policies, for instance, might be a part of your background. Uh, but if you don't want to be employed for that, then don't leave yourself open to interpretation. So make your skills and experience explicit. You know, the things that you do want to be employed for, the things that and the things that you value as an individual and think that you are good at and think that make you the things that make you unique um so reflect on your um previous experiences and try and make a consistent message which portrays the thing that you want to be employed for and the thing that you know that that narrative of, of events shapes and and um amplifies in the way that's going to translate into and then when if an employer identifies with those experiences and sees the value then you'll be employed on the basis of something that you want you know firstly you want to do and secondly um that you can back up with you know with, with experience um to the employers um i would say to identify you know don't do the classic um 
yeah my uh my dad was in in the army and uh he uh you know it, 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 try try and resist the temptation to uh yeah to exactly what you said to, to pigeonhole and to uh yeah jump to jump to conclusions yeah i think some of the hunches that people have are you know things surrounding like ptsd or um there's a you know, there's this elements of stereotyping that can sometimes occur you know which we which we're all um susceptible to we, we've all got our own experiences of individuals but just try and park those and just treat the individual as a as a, as a person and as a unique just like you would of any other applicant um try and resist the temptation to knee jerk when you see armed forces organization various and um you know read read back through the experience and that would be that would be my no i think some useful things there just you know on both sides to to help people on that transition because it you know it, it's it's a daunting and difficult transition and lots of people make it successfully others don't so it's it's about you know how how can we learn along that process and and from both sides in enhance the outcomes going forward you mentioned earlier that you're working for a company called Tadar. so do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now yeah so as if by magic you know, I've just undergone a period of you know, self-reflection, you know, looking back on all of my skills, experiences, competencies, you know, struggling to put it into a format that is uh, concise, is uh, meaningful, is useful to a prospective employer or organisation. And um, along comes Tada, which uh, is a software as a service platform you know, candidate management system which does exactly that it puts the learner the um, candidate or member at the heart of all of its processes and displays their skills and experiences awards um, collection of continuous professional development almost like your you know your burgundy record of achievement book you know places that in you know in an a digital format in a way that is easy to digest and allows you to make sense of an individual's uh, competency and through life achievements. So that's essentially what we're doing at Tadar. It's, um, you know, we're building that product. We're continuously thinking about the future um, in how we can almost, you know, we coined it as a bit of a, yeah, a LinkedIn that you can trust, you know, where rather than having the consumption of content at the heart of what the software does we're putting the user's experience and learning um right you know, at, at the heart of everything that we do and so all of our features and developments are all based around building a product which delivers for individuals and in turn will enable the organizations that buy into that idea and buy into that disruptive technology um they'll have an edge and they'll be able to manage learners, users, um, you know, members in a way that enables them to have a have a you know, continuous relationship, track their data and um, you know, essentially solve a problem that's never been solved by, you know, by any uh, any other platform. And, and I it. think, yeah, and I think that's a great ambition for for the platform to you know enhance people's experience skills help them transition help them develop their careers um you're almost a living embodiment of that and one of the challenges i always see with when people move is 
you know you think you're good at something but you're operating within a bubble or within a particular environment you talk to in the navy and you know you started and you're in a ship and you learn to do that and then you go into a submarine so you're now operating in a slightly different space so you're taking your skills you're then applying them in a different environment and that sort of adds depth complexity breadth to what you do so you've taken your skills gained in your navy experience those six years and you're now operating out in the, in the outside world beyond the armed forces so what has that taught you about your skills which are the ones that have you know really stood up to the test and what are the gaps what are the things you don't know what are the things that have surprised you on that journey that's a that's a really good question james i think um what has been consistent throughout each of those roles and experiences and and i guess you know different environments is the ability to is is, is that a problem solving pro, problem solving and solutioneering process um adaptability i guess is the is is has been common throughout all of that and communication you know, aligning um across the team you know what we believe a problem to be um what needs to be done about it what's the implication if we don't do something about it that constant cycle of um communication in a in a again a, a meaningful and impactful way that um, enables the organization or team that you're operating within at the time to get the information to the required place to be able to do something about the problem. I think that's been consistent throughout every um, every team or, or organization that have, have, you know, each one of those ships or platforms that have been on has been their own little organization within the, the larger organization. And that's been that's been exactly the same within Tadar. You know, the software engineers are they're very very similar to navy engineers in the sense that they they have a problem and it needs to be solved they have another problem that needs to be solved they have another problem that needs to be solved and it's how to prioritize those issues and ensuring that that message is understood throughout the organization well, i think you've got the adaptability you've got that you know problem solving managing multiple priorities so the similarities there so, you know, you're taking those and you're seeing those similarities. What's been the biggest surprise or what's been the thing that you felt maybe least set up to deal with or has been the biggest gap or jump as you've come into working in a different environment? Yeah, so, yeah, I think that there's, there's clearly it's a very it's a very different environment um, going from very structured organization with a clearly defined mission especially in the case of the, the submarine environment you know one of those clear aims is to remain undetected at all times you know, that's a very clear aim so all of your decision making and priorities are based around that one clear mission you know, it, you know if something's broken and it's annoying something that's noisy um it's making more noise that needs to be fixed before anything else because there's a chance that you could be detected. So, yeah, like I say, going from that uh, environment into Tadar, where we are almost, you know, coming up to almost a year since uh, we received investment, you know, a few months outside. And, you know, what comes with that are some you know, expectations surrounding delivery, um, you know, certain deliverables of the business. Um, but there's a number of ways in which we could go about that. So, choosing the priority is not always immediately obvious and and um there's a it's an it's an untrodden path in the in the way in which we're going about our our platform we're trying to be different trying to be 
um, like many businesses, we're trying to create a USP. Um, and there's an element of the, you know, particularly with the product market fit research of you can only know so much and you've just got to make a decision and and accept the um, the the con accept, accept the, the the chance that it might not be successful and uh, you uh, and you just have to yeah, make that decision and go with it and hope for the best. And I think it's an interesting comparison because you know you're in both of those aspects dealing with creativity, problem solving, ambiguity to a greater or lesser extent, risk and consequences. So, you know, you might be used to managing all of those things in one environment, but then you move into a different environment and find the rules or the weighting of those things changes quite differently. So, you know, you'll have your in internal values, you'll have your, you know, preconceptions and what you've been used to and the environmental factors that have influenced your thinking and, and shape. And suddenly you're effectively in an environment where you can paint any picture you like, you know, there there is, there is no necessarily right or wrong. You've got your, as you said, your mission and values that are keeping you on on track. But what you deliver is 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 along an untrodden path. Whereas, like you said before, that clear mission of of not being detected, you know, mm -hmm. sort of narrows down and and helps you prioritise. Whereas sometimes having the world as your oyster can be almost disabling. Uh, mm. because you've got to make decisions you know and you might have made very quick and decisive decisions in one environment and suddenly in an ambiguous environment people can find that m you know more challenging and vice versa so it's it's interesting to you know see that as as some of the differences between the two environments yeah absolutely absolutely and and that um we were working with a a consultant not so long ago and he quoted uh, Churchill, uh, the you know, uh, perfection is the enemy of progress uh, for some of the deliberation that had been uh, occurring on you know, some of our product development. And that's, you know, you can go around in cycles trying to make something absolutely perfect um, and to, you know, you can do a few scenarios of, um, you know, what happens when somebody does X or what happens if somebody does X and Y and then, but then, X impacts Y, and you need to change something again. Yeah, there's a whole, a whole myriad of, uh, of considerations, and you can only um, consider, you, know, you, can only, you can only factor you know, so many of those variables. So you're started on that journey. You're helping Tadar progress, but what comes next for you, and what are you hoping to achieve? Well, I'm now eight months into the role. And I think we've only just scratched the surface of what the what the product can do for you know, the, the individual um, and the organisations which we serve. And looking ahead with that product roadmap, I think it's you know, there's, we've got it's packed full of stuff that we think will really make a difference. So absolutely motivated to continue to you know, drive drive those through and get them over the line and refine and you know, fa essentially fail fast. Um, you know, learn from our users and learners and you know is it, it, it evaluate from the you know the successes and the and the failures of, of that process over the course of the next year two years and hopefully deliver um on both the goals of the business and the people that we're trying to solve the problem for um because clearly there's a there's a there's a balance to be struck there where you know we've got so we've got commercial 
um, objectives that need to be met. And sometimes they're not always aligned to what is going to be optimal for uh, creating um, a product and a platform that's going to be, you know, it's going to serve the end user um, in, the, in, in the most beneficial way. So really, yeah, just just really grapple with that, um, with those you know, those different um, aspects which are going to be pulling us from from one side to the next. And like you say, just really hone in on trying to decide a priority as as early as possible to help get us there in the in the um, the most effective way. And. Um you know thank you for sharing everything you've done today if people are interested in connecting with you following you and finding more about the, your story and where it leads next what's the best way of them doing that so yeah just come, find me on there uh, on linkedin search uh, aaron biggs we'll put the link in the um in the show notes yeah we'll put we'll put all the links in the show notes if anyone does want to connect and see what you're going to do next with your career also tap into some of the stuff you you know you talk about with that you know armed force transition and I got again if anyone wants to see what you're achieving and working on with Tadar as well that would be a good place to get those details and get in touch and just to add on to there anyone transitioning from the forces or any career for that matter you know, I spoke with somebody transitioning from elite sport recently as well you know more than more than happy to coach or mentor or just just share a bit more of, of my experience there's been people i've spoken to along the way who have you know just bounced some open questions back and forth and it's been incredibly helpful for me and more than happy to reciprocate the you know the same kind of um process that i benefited from that's great aaron i think that's a really generous offer and one that you know if if people do want to tap into please get in touch with aaron and i know he'll diligently help you through that process. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.